Today's scripture is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are in your hands, and you draw us to your life-giving peace. Thank you, Laura. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Uh, whether you've shaved and showered and you're here in person, or whether you are at home, your laptop open with soggy Cheerios on your chin. <laughs> Welcome, one and all. Uh, you know, last night, we heard we had our live nativity, and... Uh, Three years we've been doing it, I've gotten to be the, uh, the donkey wrangler, and, uh, which, I, which I love, my, my, my friend Allie the donkey. Anyway, there was a little moment, I wish I had caught it on camera, but it's imprinted on my mind. We've got a stray here. <laughs> and anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, one, of the, one of the cars came, it was a pickup, and... Uh, there was a, a couple in there, and, then, and on the passenger seat, there was a little white dog with the woman there, just a little tiny thing. And then when I come up, and they saw, the dog saw the donkey. It went up to the driver's side close and stuck its head just outside the window, this little dog. And the donkey saw it and went up to get it, and the two noses just touched <laughs> right there. It was just, just quite a moment. Uh, I'm still thinking about it. Anyway. Uh, all right, it is uh, December, it is Advent, and um, I want you to know that we, this year, we have a Christmas gift for you. Uh, it is an 8 by 10 print of this drawing, and it depicts Jesus on the cross with his finger pointed toward the viewer as if he's saying, I'm laying down my life for you. If I were to give a title to this, it would be for you. My son created this drawing many years ago, and the original hangs in my office. A number of you have seen it. And uh, so we have prints. They are out on the counter opposite the coffee bar, okay? And uh, so please, uh, take one as a gift from Faith Westwood and me. And um, if you are worshiping with us online uh, and you would like one, then just email us, info at faithwestwood.com and We'd be glad to send you one. Uh, and if you want to take an extra one to give to somebody else, you can do that too. 
especially if you're uh, being a blessed friend for someone and you think this might be a well-received gift, please, or any, any other way. Someone else said, oh, I'm going to send one to my daughter who lives in another state. Uh, you can do that. Um, and uh, before we get into the message, we're going to unite in prayer. This is a prayer uh, similar to last Sunday's, but it, and it's adapted from uh, today's devotion from the Lectio 365 app. So let's pray. Lord God, on this second Sunday of Advent, I bring my hope-filled longing as I invite Christ to come again into my life. I pause now to listen again to the voice from heaven saying, I am making everything new. As I examine my... Excuse me. As I examine my own heart, I become aware of my fears, weakness, and brokenness. Lord, I turn to you and listen for your promise. I am making everything new. Lord, I pray for the nations of the world, especially those caught up in conflict and war. In this Advent season, I pray... Come, Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace. I listen expectantly to hear your voice from the throne announcing, I am making everything new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will come again in glory, that all the kingdoms of this world will be your kingdom. We long for you to return and make everything new. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, nearly 20 years ago, um, a woman from the church I was serving then, a young woman, met a, a nun from India. And this nun, her story was that she had used her inheritance from her parents uh, to buy this large home and she created an orphanage well, for 40 to 50 children, most of them girls, who would have been probably sold off in the sex trade if she had not rescued them. So our church then began a relationship with this nun. Uh, we began supporting Sister Jessie Alex. And I have had several opportunities through the years to meet her. Uh, I consider her a friend. Uh, she has retired now, and another sister has taken her place. Now, Sister Jessie, along with uh, those who helped her, fed the children, clothed them. Sister Jessie sent them to school, made sure they did their homework. Each child uh, had their own duties to do. And, and, but most of all, she loved them. Uh, she, I mean, that was the, really the driving force in all of this. It just She had such great love and compassion for these kids. She gave them a future. She, she made sure they learned to trade or they went on to school, and for some of the girls, she arranged a husband for them. For Sister Jessie, every child she rescued was a miracle from God. Today's the second Sunday of Advent as we prepare for Christmas, and it's the second Sunday in our series, Miracle Children of the Bible. Uh, in, here's another story. In, in 1709, so a little over 300 years ago, 1709, a boy, John Wesley, was five years old. And one night, the family's house caught fire. 
Samuel, uh, the father, made it out. He, he counted the heads of all the kids. One was missing. People of the town gathered, and someone saw a silhouette in front of an upstairs window. It was John calling for help. Samuel tried several times to enter the house, and each time he was beat back by the flames. So he prayed. And then two men came up to the house. One stood on the other's shoulders, and they pulled young John, they called him Jackie, from the window, snatched him out from there before, right before the roof fell in. Thankfully, the entire family was saved. John's rescue was called a miracle, and he would remember that moment, as you can imagine, for the rest of his life. His mother, Suzanne, called, Susanna, called him a brand plucked from the burning, which is a quote from the prophet Zechariah. In our NIV uh, Bibles, it reads, a burning stick snatched from the fire. That was John. Now, the fire was not God's will. But Susanna always believed that God rescued her son for a special purpose. And then as a young man, John fa founded a spiritual, excuse me, he founded a spiritual renewal movement called Methodism. Today we are look, we're going to look at another miracle child from the Bible, uh, rescued for a special purpose. So let's open our Bibles uh, to our passage for today. Uh, grab one in front of you, Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 4. And, and one question you might be asking is, where is the danger coming from? Why is this mother hiding her baby? And, and if we look back in the chapter before, in chapter 1, we would see the answer. Four uh, centuries earlier, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... They, uh, they stayed in the eastern delta of Egypt after a famine. And uh, they were an especially fertile people in a fertile land. And they grew exponentially, generation after generation. Then a pharaoh came to power who despised this growing nation of Semites on his doorstep and feared that they might one day side with his enemies and attack him. Now, which pharaoh was this? Well, we're not quite sure. There are, there are actually two possible dates that scholars have for when the exodus uh, happened. The, uh, but we don't know which one is, I don't know which one is correct. But if you go with the earlier date of the 15th century B.C., scholars then say it was probably uh, Thutmose III. What a name, huh? Thutmose III. Or we can just call him Thut the Brute. <laughs> anyway, he enslaved the Hebrews living in his territory, forcing them to build great uh, cities so he could store his grain. That was kind of his power over the people. Anyway, he worked the Hebrews to death. Pharaoh didn't care. There were always plenty more, and they were expendable. In fact, there were so many Hebrews at one point that Thumose III ordered genocide, that all the Hebrew baby boys be killed. But at least one miraculously was rescued. And so today's message is... Moses, 
and his on-the-spot big sister. This was a, a foreshadowing of what would happen 15 centuries later in another king named Herod would order that all the boy babies in and around Bethlehem would be killed. Well, Moses' mother was determined to keep her child alive. And, you know, I can just imagine, you know, the, the baby police coming from house to house and searching for hidden infants. So the mother got a basket and sprayed it with Flex Seal or an ancient equivalent and put her baby in the basket and then set it in the Nile River among the reeds so it would be hidden and then it wouldn't float downstream. Let's start with verse 4, okay? His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Way to go, big sis. I mean, that's, this is really babysitting, baby-watching. Uh, anyway, we later learn that the sister's name is Miriam. And when, when she sees uh, Pharaoh's daughter holding her baby brother, Miriam runs up. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And then it's kind of like wink, wink between Miriam and her mom. We won't let the Pharaoh's daughter know that this is really the baby's mother. And then in verse 9, here's the best part. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me. And I will pay you. Pay her. So mom gets paid for doing what she was already doing for free. What a deal. But when the child is weaned, probably about age three, mom has to give him up. He is now the princess's son. And so... God saves Moses from a murderous king. Centuries later, a man named Joseph gets a message in a dream to, to leave Judea, flee to Egypt with his wife and child, and the baby Jesus is saved from a murderous king. In the U.S., 13,000 children and youth are murdered every year. 13,000 children and youth are murdered every year. I have, a, I have a friend who grew up in North Omaha. He says he's personally known about 50 children and youth who have been murdered. Let that sink in. Let's, let's begin to grieve for those kids and their families. God's grieving too. One thing I appreciate, appreciate about the Bible is that it doesn't just focus on the children who were saved. It also mourns the ones who were not saved. In Matthew chapter 2, after King Herod orders the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem, he quotes, he quotes the prophet Jeremiah. It says, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children 
and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this is the the time, these are the times when Moses and Jesus were born. Now, I want to offer just a handful of the many parallels between Moses and Jesus, okay? First one, as I said, Moses and Jesus were both children rescued from murderous kings. Second one, uh, quoting Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses tells Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Notice he says, a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And, and the Gospels sometimes refer to Jesus as the prophet, and that means this, what Moses is talking about, the, the one that Moses foretold. The third one, uh, at the time of Moses, God's people are saved um, from death by a Passover lamb. Jesus offers himself as a Passover lamb to save us from death. Through, number four, through Moses, God delivers his people with an exodus. In Jesus, God delivers his people portrayed as a new exodus. And then the last one, number five, Moses was the teacher and lawgiver of the first covenant. Jesus is the teacher and lawgiver of the new covenant. Now, I want to expand upon this last one. Uh, Moses is regarded as the primary source of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, which, he, which we call the Pentateuch, which means five books. Matthew arranges his gospel with Jesus giving long segments of teaching to parallel the Pentateuch. He does that to show us that Jesus is the new Moses. Moses was the teacher and lawgiver of the first covenant, and Jesus is the teacher and lawgiver of the new covenant. Through Moses, uh, Israel receives these commands. You know, all these commands in the Old Testament uh, that started them on the path of righteousness. And usually that meant limiting the evil. Through Jesus, we receive commands that take us uh, a, to a higher level in a holy life. For example, in the Ten Commandments given through Moses, it says, you shall not murder. That's good. That's important. But Jesus says, a holy life means a lot more than not murdering. Because your rage and insults at people reveal some level of murder in your heart. Think about that. And Jesus wants to help you get rid of it. Because it is poison to your soul. Make amends with anyone you've hurt. That's the holy life God wants for you. You see how Jesus is a new kind of teacher and lawgiver. In the Ten Commandments uh, given through Moses, it says, you shall not commit adultery. That's good. It's important. But Jesus says a holy life means more than that. 
If, if you indulge in lustful imaginations, you've already begun adultery in your heart. Ask Jesus to, to, to replace that with his grace and truth. I know a guy who uh, takes what Jesus says about this very seriously. Uh, if he finds himself at any point during the day uh, ogling a woman, a woman, even for a few seconds, that night he sits down and he writes her a letter, even if he doesn't know her name, which is usually the case, and he asks her to forgive him. And he says that he hopes that she will find what she's looking for and what she needs. And then he burns the letter. He is pursuing the holy life that Jesus talks about. You see how Jesus is, is, is a new teacher, new lawgiver, going way beyond the laws of Moses. You see, Jesus wants to do more than just forgive you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you and purify you. Jesus wants to perfect you, not, not with a self-righteous, personally achieved perfection. Jesus wants to perfect you with a grace-empowered, loving, humble, obedient holiness. Will you say that with me, what you see on the screen? Jesus wants to perfect you, not with a self-righteous, personally achieved perfection. Jesus wants to perfect you with a grace-empowered, loving, humble, obedient holiness. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like showing kindness even to those who have hurt you. It means trusting not in wealth, but in God. It means serving the Lord without seeking accolades. And there's a lot more. Jesus will help you become purer in heart. You see, the, the, the path of life and the path of destruction both begin in the heart. Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You mean so Jesus is saying, I have evil in my heart? Yeah. Angry, greedy, lying, immorality, indulging, it's all in there. I'm a sinner. Now some would say, Jesus, you're being judgmental. Just remember, Jesus loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Jesus is the new and better Moses who, who changes our hearts, who teaches us grace-empowered, loving, humble, obedient holiness. Uh, one of my seminary professors, John Oswalt, says that uh, for the Hebrews in Egypt who are enslaved, he said their biggest problem was not slavery. I mean, we like to reduce it, just, you know, okay, set them free, then everything's good. No. He said the real problem was their ignorance of God. 
until they came to know him, mere physical deliverance could only lead to a different kind of bondage. They would be set free from, e- from Egypt, but if they don't know God, they don't know who God is, don't have a relationship with God, then they're just going to fall and become slaves to something else, even of their own making. And so that's why God did a lot more than just deliver the Hebrews from slavery. God brought them into a relationship so they could know him. And the Lord told them, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So through Moses, the people came to know God. But not fully. There was a lot they didn't know about God. In Jesus, we come to know God in his fullness. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus has made God known to us. He makes God knowable. He makes God accessible. So Jesus is the teacher of the new covenant, and and Jesus is the one who defines what a grace-empowered, loving, humble, obedient, holy life is. I mean, if we try to define it by ourselves, we're going to mess it all up. Our hearts will lead us astray. Moses said, you must listen to him. You must listen to him. So I'm wondering, are you listening to Jesus? Are you learning from him? I mean, maybe some of you say, well, I used to, but I've kind of gotten out of the habit or I've put it off the shelf and other things are just more important right now. Or maybe some of you say, hey, I'm just getting started. And it's, you know, I'm really into it. And I say, way to go. Jesus said, seek first. Seek before anything else. Seek God's kingdom and righteousness. That's this this holy life he's talking about. And he'll show you how to do it. He'll show you how to do it. Listen to him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we hear you calling us to a higher love and a holy life. But we cannot do it without your help. So, Lord, we're calling on you and counting on you to empower us by the Holy Spirit to live a grace-empowered, loving humble, obedient, holy life. And it is in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.